Um, David tells us that God knits us together uh, in our mother's wombs. He says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that all the days of our lives were written in God's book before any of those came to be. And so God has a plan. God has a purpose for each child. Um, We celebrate and value life from the moment of conception into the moment of death. And so we really want to value children. At Free Church, we have a, a statement of DNA which says we are for this generation, and that is this. It's youth are the church of today. Youth are our VIPs. Youth are our most fertile soil, and they are our greatest evangelists. And the most important part, youth are to be invested in by their elders. And you say, what is an elder? How many of you are older than someone else today? You're older than someone else. There is somebody here that's probably not older than someone else. I'm not sure exactly who that is, but I know it ain't me. Um, but an elder is when you're older than someone, you, you share a responsibility of investing into them and blessing them and praying for them and over them. And so we take this very seriously. And I just want to thank you again for your patience. We've been saying it for too long uh, for bringing your kids into service. We say thank you because our, our kids wing, it's taken a long time to get fixed, but a momentous amount of progress was done this week. And so um, we're excited. Hopefully next week is the week. So that being said, um, I'm going to go ahead and call up um, the Hawkins first. And we'd like to dedicate Hezekiah to the Lord today. But Andy and Andy and Joshua, if you want to come up. Yep. You too, Aslan. Come on up. You're pointing at me. I'm pointing at you. Come on up and we're going to pray over you. Susan, do you want to hold Hezekiah? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Last week, Everybody was ooing and aahing over Hezekiah. Um, his parents thought it would be a good idea to put him in a bow tie last week. And everybody's like, look at what a cute bow tie. And, and he was looking around. I said, I don't think he can even move wearing the bow tie. And he looked over to see if that was true. And instead of looking over, he went like this. Because he actually could not move with the bow tie on. And so I'm glad that he has the freedom today to express his neck movement as much as he would like. Um, one thing that we like to do from time to time is just uh, speak a, a blessing or a verse over a child's life. And I was just praying this morning, and um, the Lord put on my heart for Hezekiah um, this verse, Isaiah 58, 8. Uh, Isaiah the prophet says, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And so the, the word that the Lord gave for me for Hezekiah was this idea of being a, a breaker, that the dawn breaks through. Um, and you think about um, boats that go before ships in order to break through ice in the North Pole and in the Arctic regions. And the word that the Lord gave me for him is that he's going to be a breaker going forth to break things uh, out of the way that the Lord wants to do. And that verse says that the Lord's going behind him as he does it. So God's going to use him to break forth new things, and he's going to go behind him as well. And so uh, that means people got to follow this kid when he's, when he's not a kid anymore. So church, would you extend your hands this way as we pray over him? Right. Lord Jesus, thank you for this precious boy. He's been made in your image. Um, God, your works for him have been prepared before the foundations of the earth. Thank you for this word over his life. Let him break forth into darkness. Let him break forth hard soil and hard ground so that he can accomplish the things for you that you are using him for. God, give him people uh, to lead. Give him people, God, that will follow him. God, I pray that he would love you with all of his heart, with all of his life, even at a young age, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that he would be an inspiration to those around him and especially that you would put support around him to bless him and to lift him up. God, help his sister, Jesus, to be nice to him. In Jesus' name. Uh, Bless his mom and his dad. Help them, God, to have all their needs um, provided for God. Everything they need for this boy and their daughter and their family, God, provide for them. Bless them. Fill them with your spirit, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. And... There's a certificate I'm going to try and find. Oh, excuse me. Okay, uh, next is Opal Warnock. Okay, come on up, Warnock. <laughs> Oliver, do you remember when you were dedicated? He does. Wow, his memory's amazing. Opal, do you remember the day you were dedicated? Yes. So I'm going to have Susan hold you here. Opal will let her. So Tim and Kara are such a blessing to our church, and, and they are um, just great friends and loyal, faithful people, and, and we just want to um, bless them and say how much we appreciate them. And as I was uh, praying over Opal's life uh, this morning, two verses came to mind. 
it, Psalm 98 and Psalm 95, and I, I won't read them verbatim because it's not as specific in regard to what I shared with Hezekiah, but just this idea of singing for joy. And I know I love to watch Kara play bass and sing, and Kara is a worshiper. Um, I love to watch Tim play bass. I don't know about his voice, uh, but Kara's got a nice voice. And But this idea of this girl being so joyous, and um, this couple is, is very blessed, and I, I hesitate to use the word blessed because it makes it seem like those who don't have this blessing aren't blessed. And so I'll say you're blessed and a little bit lucky that they've got some super easy kids. Like, these are easy kids, and we're like, man, Oliver's so easy. Wait until you have another baby. It's like, well, she's just as easy. And so, so this, this, girl, this girl is uh, filled with joy already. You can, you can see it in her eyes and her, her dancing and her matching of her mom's skirt. Um, so this girl is so filled with joy, and she brings joy wherever she goes. And so um, Psalms 95, Psalms 98, David talks about singing for joy, and that's what we're going to pray over her life, is that she would be a, a song of joy over those that she comes into contact with. And so um, once again, church, if you could extend your hands this way as we pray over Opal, and you can come this way, Susan will lay hands on Tim and Kara, and especially on Oliver. Uh, God, we, we pray a blessing over this family, God. Uh, bless Opal, Lord Jesus. Help her to be a joy to everyone she comes into contact with, God. Bless her with relationships and support. Bless her, God, with people to bless. I pray, God, that this joy she exudes in her soul now uh, would not be a light that is diminished or put out, but would burn brightly throughout her life. God, we pray from a young age she would be aware of your spirit, your presence, and your voice, and would choose to follow you. God, give her a testimony of a man at, at the youngest age I can remember, I was serving Jesus. God, give her a testimony like that. God, I pray that you would provide for Tim and Kara. Bless them. Bless them as parents, God. Lord Jesus, I pray um, for Oliver. God, he needs a blessing. Bless him. In Jesus' name, help him to be a great big brother like he is and to bless his sister and to be kind to her and to beat any, beat any guy up that, that treats her wrong, God. <laughs> Lord Jesus, uh, watch over this family. God, bless them. Help them to be filled and moved by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you. We got a certificate for you guys as well. All right. Thank you, everyone. Okay. So, um, brief pastor announcement is... It is March as of Thursday. Thursday is March. Does that seem strange to anybody? Thursday is March. Um, I think it's supposed to snow next Saturday. That's what it said yesterday on the forecast. So it is March as of Thursday. And with that comes Easter. This year, Easter is very early. Uh, Easter is on March the 31st which is the last week of spring break. And so March 31st is Easter. And here's our Easter service plans as a church. We're going to be having our downtown service at 6 p.m. on Saturday before Easter. That's March 30th. And then we will have our Sunday service. We'll have two of them for Easter here, um, 9 and 11. So we will not have a 10 a.m. here. We'll have 9 a.m. and 11. And I just want to reiterate what the Doherty's were sharing is that we do have and are starting a, a full service also Saturdays downtown. Um, we've had about three Sundays the last month that were that were too full. Um, we, we don't have room here for people to grow. Um, downtown, we have about 150 seats, and there's a lot of room to grow there. And so if you could please consider um, making a change to attending church on Saturday night and attending downtown instead of South Salem. And so especially if you don't live in South Salem, that's a great opportunity for you. And we do have kids ministry there. I know that was an obstacle before, and so we have kids ministry for those, as Ladina said, three to uh, three months to three years, and we'll expand quickly um, as we expand our kids leadership team and kids volunteers. Um, we got a beautiful kids room. I know Oliver got to experience that room last night. He had a fun time, and it's it's a really cool space that we're blessed to be able to use. And so join us next week if you could, even if you're like, I don't plan on making downtown my normal campus to attend. It's there for you if you can't attend Sunday. But I'd like to ask everybody to come next week and just help us kick off and have a really good time, celebrate, worship together. It's, it's an awesome space. We were so blessed by Hope Point Church last night leading us in worship. It was it was really awesome, a wonderful time together. So with all that being said, if you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, we're in a series right now on 1 Corinthians. 
And in this series, we're just looking at this letter that Paul writes to the church in the city in Greece of Corinth. Um, speaking of Greece, uh, my family watched Mama, uh, Mama Mia. Here it goes again, the second Mama Mia. Um, just as bad as the first. Um, but Greece is a beautiful place. And so Greece, Corinth, Paul writes this letter. It's about 50 AD. He's hearing all sorts of things going on in this community that he's addressing. And so he addresses this church. He addresses them on topics of um, sexuality, love, leadership, division, conflict, um, all over the place. Paul is probably the most prolific Christian writer who's ever lived. But if you have read through Paul, he's hard to follow. Um, Paul is a king of run-on sentences. And as we read this, remember, it's not a book where there were editors saying, hey, Paul, you need to put this here, put this here, put this here. It's, it's a letter that's fluid to a very specific group of people. And so it's a very difficult book to teach through uh, because we can't just go chapter, chapter, chapter because we would be touching on the same themes every week. And so what we did in order to break this down for the purpose of teaching is we broke it into topics. And so we opened up uh, with this idea of grace and peace as the first topic. The second topic was division and conflict. I pray you were blessed by that last week. And uh, next week, um, if you'd like to go to church and talk about things like sex, next week, that's what we're talking about. Um, that'll bring out a lot of people for our first downtown service. Um, we're then going to talk about marriage the following week, another really easy topic. Um, Christian liberty we're going to be talking about. But today, as, as we were planning, it, we, we planned with about 11 people this, this series that we're on trying to break it down, and, and I thought we were going to be talking about leadership from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 9, there are parts in there about leadership, but as, as I read and studied it for the last couple weeks, I just realized it would be doing a disservice to the text um, to look at it from the realm of leadership, because that's not the main topic. And so I spent most of the week trying to avoid talking about what we're going to talk about today, um, trying to, like, maybe the Holy Spirit will give me an impromptu message to share with people so we don't talk about what we're going to talk about today, um, but he did not. Uh, and so the, the word that the Holy Spirit gave was the word that we planned to give on 1 Corinthians 4, 9, and we can't look at 4 or 9 without looking at chapter 5. And because there is kids in the house today, we need to be careful how we talk about 1 Corinthians 5, as there's some real Jerry Springer stuff going on in 1 Corinthians 5. If you're under the age of 30, ask your grandma who Jerry Springer is, she'll tell you. And so... Um, let's look here at Matthew 7, and you might say, I thought we're talking about 1 Corinthians, and we are. And so have you ever heard someone say, only God can judge me? I've heard someone say that before. Only God can judge me. I believe it was in, um, at, at the hand and in the pen of the great philosopher and, and theologian and historian by the name of uh, Tupac, who, who said those famous words, only God can judge me. If you're under the age of 40, you can ask your grandma who Tupac was. She used to roll hard to Tupac music. She can tell you uh, who, who Tupac is. Um, but only God can judge me. Have you heard that before? You can't judge me. This is America. It's a free country. You can't judge me. And so the question is, is that true? Is it a true statement? You can't judge me. And we'll look at and we'll break down what that is because it is the issue in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, and, and somewhat chapter 9 as well. So let's look at Matthew 7. Jesus says this. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. There it is. Jesus said, just like Tupac, you can't judge me. Only God can judge, right? Is that, is that what Jesus says? And not exactly. So he says, judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. And this is where we get the verse, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So in context, what Jesus is saying is be prepared to be judged equal to how you judge. Be prepared to be judged according to how you judge other people. A little bit of the golden rule there, treat others as you would like to be treated. And so Jesus' word is not a prohibition on the idea of judgment. Instead, it is a warning of how, when, where, and who to judge. And so in Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5, he says this, Why do you see 
the speck that is in your brother's eye. So why, why are you looking at the, the little sliver in someone's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How many of you know someone who dresses real bad? Dresses real bad. Look over at your spouse and say, that's you. Know someone that dresses real bad. You ever had somebody that just dresses real bad? And they look at you and you're, you know that you are spot on in your outfit for the day. And they look at you and they're like, give you the side eye. What are you, what are you wearing? And you're like, really? Log in your own eye? Um, so Jesus says, don't look at the sliver. Don't look at the speck that is in your neighbor's eye, but not notice the very log that is in your own eye. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. How many of you have ever had a log in your eye before? Not literally, but if we're following Jesus' line of thinking, all of us at one point or another have had a log in our eye. And when we have logs in our eye, it is very easy to notice slivers in other people's eyes to draw the attention away from the log in our own eye. Oftentimes, the most critical, judgmental people I have ever encountered usually have two big logs in their eye, and they are diverting attention from their log to point out your splinter. How many of you have experienced this before? How many of you, you were the one that was diverting attention away? And so what we see here is not just this prohibition against this idea of judging, but what Jesus is saying is don't be a hypocrite. You've got to be willing to acknowledge. You have to be willing to take care of your own stuff before pointing someone else's stuff out. How many of you got stuff you need to deal with today? I do. Each of us, we have stuff that we need to deal with. Some of you are double stuffed. You just got, you got, got stuff to deal with. But we got to deal with our own stuff before we point someone else's stuff out. And so Jesus picks this back up in Matthew 7, verse 15. So look with me at Matthew 7, 15. He says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus is saying, don't judge a book only by its cover. Verse 16, you will recognize in context, false prophets, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs gathered from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You heard that before? You will recognize them. You will recognize others by their fruit. So Jesus says, do not judge by appearance. Don't make judgments about people based off of appearance. But he also tells us here, don't judge. But then he also says, judge, because he's saying you've got to watch. You've got to judge the fruit that people actually bear. What he's saying is that people's fruit will expose their heart. People's fruit will expose their motivation and will expose their intentions, meaning that we are to judge behavior, what their life produces. We're not to judge what things appear like on the outside. We make judgments about deeds, actions, words, and work. And so in context here, we are to be watching for fruit. Watching for the fruit, especially that people who proclaim to have a word from the Lord, people who teach or preach the word of God, we are to watch their fruit and we are to see if they are false prophets or not. And in the context of the Old Testament, false prophets were to be judged very harshly because it's easy to be able to judge their fruit. Is their prophecy true or is it not? You see, we make judgments every single day. It would be foolish not to make judgments every day. Should I turn left here? Should I step here? Should I go into this building? Should I take this job? We make decisions and judgments every day. Is he safe? Is he creepy? Is he dangerous? Is he trustworthy? Is he worth being in a relationship with? Is she honest? Is she a liar? Is she kind? Is she a gold digger? Is she irresponsible? Is she a murderer? 
We have to make judgments all the time of things and places and people that we interact with. And so Jesus says, don't judge unless you are willing to be judged with the same level of judgment. Why do you look at this speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own eye? You've got to judge, not by appearance. You've got to judge by fruit. So let's go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, Jesus says this in verse 24. Do not judge by appearance. Judge with right judgment. He says, judge with right judgment. So when you look at the Bible, I I read these verses to show context is crucial in everything that we read. We can't just pull verses completely out of context. We have to look at context in regard to these things because Jesus, in what we've just read, he says, don't judge. And he says, judge. It's important that we know what Jesus is actually saying. And what he is saying is don't judge others unless you have judged yourself. Don't judge others unless you have dealt with your issues appropriately. Don't judge others unless you are willing to be judged in proportion to how you've judged. But when you do judge, judge with right judgment. So where else do we find this in scripture? Well, in Matthew 18, Jesus teaches us in the church how to address grievances how to utilize church discipline. Um, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that that requires judgments to be made in regard to whether or not your brother in Christ has wronged you, whether or not they've done anything wrong to begin with. The Old Testament, the law, it required much judgment to be made by the leadership of Israel to judge those in their community who have broken the law. The Old and New Testament affirm God's establishment of governing authorities to make judgments of those who have been accused of committing crimes. And just last last week, as we were looking at 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3, Paul even says that the church needs to be able to judge civil matters within the church and amongst themselves and not take lawsuits to governing authorities, if at all possible. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 3, Paul tells people, church leaders, that they need to make judgments whether or not someone is eligible to be and qualified enough to be a leader in the church as leaders are to be held to higher standards. And this is to continue after a leader leads a church because people have to decide whether or not they want to choose to follow someone based off of judgments they make. Is this person following Jesus? And if so, do we want to follow them? This means that individual believers, we have to make judgments constantly. And so before we actually read 1 Corinthians, I I do have um, just a slide here that just says like, okay, what what have we established here? I think I do. Yeah. Uh, Where are we at? Don't judge others unless you've judged yourself, unless you're willing to be judged. Judge with right judgment. Matthew 18 requires judgment. The law required judgment. God establishes government. The church is to judge civil matters and church leaders are to be judged and held to higher standards. You can take a picture of that if you want. So with all this in mind about judgment, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. And when we read the Bible in its fullness and in context, this starts to come together really beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And before we read chapter 4, I do want to say, I've had a lot of you ask, why aren't we doing um, Facebook Live devotions every day? Um, One, because I've only got a certain number of hours in every day. But this week, I'm committing to doing these at least Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday because I want to go over the leadership topics here um, because that's what we were supposed to talk about. I want to I tackle it in 1 Corinthians 4. But 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, um, read along with me. Paul says this. This is how one should regard us. He's talking about specifically apostles. He's going to talk about himself, Apollos, who was not an apostle um, appointed by Jesus, but was an apostle in the church in his realm of leadership. He's going to talk about Peter, Jesus, etc. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they should be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. See? 
Tupac was an original thought. It was the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before it's time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So after all these things that we've read about judgment, why on earth would Paul say that only God can judge him? Just reading this verse out of context, it makes no sense. Why would Paul say, only God can judge me? In verse 2, he actually says, you should judge leaders. They need to be found to be faithful. It requires judgments to determine if someone is being faithful. People must decide whether or not they will follow people like Paul or not and if they are following Christ or not. You see, it doesn't make sense that Paul would say this just because he's an apostle. He can't say, you can't judge me because I'm an apostle. You can't judge me because I'm a pastor. You can't judge me because, because I'm this or I'm that or I have this position in the church. He's not saying he's beyond judgment. It wouldn't make any sense. And so here's what is happening. If you read through these chapters in 1 Corinthians, uh, we can get an idea of what's actually going on. And what's going on is this. What's going on is that the church is comparing Paul to Peter, to Apollos, to Barnabas, to Aquila, to Priscilla, even to Jesus himself. And this comparing that people are making is causing judgment. And the judgment that they're placing on these leaders, it's causing this arrogance and division and conflict within their church. And as you read through Paul's writing, one thing that becomes very clear is that Paul is actually not a good speaker. He wasn't a good preacher or speaker. He says that three times. And he compares himself to people like Apollos who were literally famous for their speaking ability. And so they were being critical of Paul's speaking skills. And Paul is not afraid to admit that. He's like, you're right, I'm actually not that great of a speaker. And so this church, the Christians in this Corinthian region, they're pitting Paul against others like Apollos, like Barnabas. He's a better teacher. We're not supporting your ministry, Paul. We're supporting this traveling minister's ministry. We're all talk, and, and he's all power. He's shown some power, but he can't really preach. Um, Paul, you're foolish. You're weaker than these other people are. All of this comes up in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. This church, it looks like they're slandering Paul. If you look at chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, he refers to them slandering him. They're gossiping about him. They're spilling the tea about Paul himself. They're comparing Paul with the scum of the earth. They're even comparing Paul with poop. Last night, my daughter and I and I were talking about whether or not it's appropriate to cuss and the conclusion we came to, it's between us. And, but the word Paul uses here for poop is a curse word in this day, by the way. He says, you guys are calling me poopy. You guys are, you're saying I'm the scum of the earth. They're judging Paul's effectiveness in preaching the gospel. They're judging Paul's abilities. They're even judging Paul's very calling. That's why he spends a lot of time saying, this is why I'm an apostle. They're judging his very position within the church. And he's like, guys, I'm actually the one that led all of you to Jesus. And so what Paul is telling the church in Corinth when he says, hey, God can judge me on these issues. Who am I to be judged? What he's saying is, you can't judge my calling. You can't judge my passion. You can't judge my intentions. You can't judge my motives. You can't judge my position as an apostle. You cannot judge my effectiveness. Your effectiveness, you're actually basing on worldly measures of success. He said, I'm faithful. I might not be successful in your eyes, but I'm faithful to the Lord. What Paul is saying, only God can judge me in these areas. And those areas, those things will be determined on the day of the Lord's return. And I will receive my rewards according to how I have lived my life. Paul says, I'm actually not aware of any sins I am blatantly and unrepentantly committing. And if so, if Paul has sinned, we've already established that there's a godly way to approach him and to judge him in that matter if he was sinning. Because after all, Paul himself judged Peter. He's like, Peter, why are you acting like you want to sit with the cool kids at the lunch table and you're not sitting with us? You're being a hypocrite. Imagine calling Peter a, a hypocrite. Was Peter a hypocrite? Yes. 
do I want to tell Peter one day in heaven, Peter, you were really a hypocrite. No, I would love to have the faith of Peter, that hypocrite. So, so in context, when, who, and how are we to actually judge? It's so confusing to know what we're talking about when we're talking about this idea of judgment, which brings us to the infamous Jerry Springer, chapter five of 1 Corinthians. There's kids in the house. We will tread lightly on these areas. You will have to get Paul's innuendo. I will not expand on it today, all right? 1 Corinthians five, verse one. What he says is, you guys want me to judge you? Here it goes. That's what he says at the end of four. Let's talk about judgment. Boom. Chapter five, verse one. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. Corinthian, Corinth was a messed up place, by the way. Paul is saying even the, the Corinthians think this is gross. It's not even tolerated among the pagans because a man has his father's wife and you guys are arrogant. You should be mourning this sin. Let him who has done this been rem be removed from among you. Verse 3. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. By the way, context is crucial. <laughs> so many people like, Pastor, I'm at church in spirit with you today. I'm like, no, you're watching a football game. You're not here in spirit. In context, to be here in spirit means that you're bringing judgment. Paul's like, I'm not there, but you've got... I've got your back. You actually need to take care of this, this really messed up thing going on in the church. He says, I'm absent in body. I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present. Now, Paul's spirit's not literally there. He's not like Obi-Wan Kenobi at the end of Star Wars. Like, I'm here, guys. No, he just, he's like, I got your back, guys. I, I'm, I'm with you in spirit. With the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to, de to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's harsh. We don't have a lot of time to go here, but I want to tell you briefly, because we can't just brush over it, what it means when he says, deliver the man over to Satan. What he is saying is, is that this man is still living like he's serving Satan and not the Lord. And so let him go. Let him go out and continue to live in his sinful ways, and hopefully he will see how good he had it with the grace of God. Hopefully he will see how good the power of God is. Hopefully he will see how good he had it amongst a loving community of the church. Hopefully he'll come back. So verse 9, we're skipping ahead to, he says this, I wrote to you in my letter. That's his first letter, by the way. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But I did not mean sexually immoral people of this world. I didn't mean the greedy of this world. I didn't mean the swindlers of this world. I didn't mean the idolaters of this world. Because if that was the case, you would have to remove yourself from the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. And so many of us, we stop here like that's the big sin. All other sins pale in comparison. And Paul's like, no, let me point out some of your other sins. Greed. Whoever is an idolater. Whoever is a reveler. How many revelers we got here today? It means you just like you're causing problems wherever you go. Whoever is a drunkard. Whoever is a swindler. Don't even eat with such a one. This is the, the key point of our sermon today, by the way, verse 12. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? Verse 13, God judges those outside. It says, purge the evil person from among you. So Paul pronounces clear judgment on this man. And he does so because this man bears the name brother. This man is a confessing Christian. This man is taking advantage of God's grace. This man is purposefully and boastfully walking in sin that he claims to be saved from sin that the Lord died for. This man is in the church. This man is among the church. Paul's judgment of him is for the purpose of salvation. Paul's judgment for him is to protect the church because if this is not addressed, there is no repentance. If there's no boasting, it will spread like wildfire throughout the church because a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. How many of you are on the sourdough bandwagon right now? I know Tim and I were talking about it. He's like, I was just baking this morning at 4 
man, my sourdough, and um, whatever, Tam, you're boasting about your, your husband of the year award. Um, I did dishes for like 20 16-year-old girls yesterday at a birthday party, so take that, sourdough Tim. Um, the women are going to unload the dishwasher today. So Paul makes it abundantly clear that we are not to judge outsiders. Only God can judge outsiders. Only God can judge their salvation. How many of you are grateful you don't have to determine whether or not someone is saved? But so many of you actually do. Who are you to judge someone's salvation? Paul says, you're not to judge outsiders. You're only to judge those in the church. And the only reason we would ever do that is for the salvation of their souls. And it's for the protection of others within the church. If you're new to free church, this church will protect women and children at all costs. There's men coming in causing problems like we're protecting our women and kids. Amen. We want to protect everybody from wolves, from people who might cause problems. But we, we only do this for protection, for salvation of those within the church. Because remember Jesus in Matthew 18, he says, if your brother sins against you, he says, if your brother sins against you, then go and tell it. He doesn't say an outsider. He doesn't say an outsider who doesn't profess faith in Christ, if they sin, go confront them. He says, if your brother sins, confront them. Your brother means a fellow brother or sister in Christ. We can only judge those who are brothers and sisters. And speaking of the word brother, brother also carries with another implication. Brother means that you know the person. Brother means you are known by the person. Brother means you have a relationship with the person. Brother means you are trusted and respected by the person. And if you see something that you think bears judgment, ask yourself this, do I know them? If you don't know them, it's not your business. Isn't that amazing? It's not your, you don't have to worry about other people. If you don't know them, it's not your business. And so with all this in mind and back to what we've learned so far, Paul concludes this idea in his letters in Galatians chapter 5. And Galatians chapter 5 brings the whole thing together. Or Galatians uh, 6, I should say. Galatians 6 brings it all together. So Galatians 6, 1. Are there any Augsburger kids here today? Okay, who wants to read? Yep, come on up, Taya. Come on up. Give Taya a hand. Nick and Jessica Augsburger, they charge $300 an hour for reading lessons for children. It is worth every penny, okay? $300 an hour. Taya, are you ready? We're going to be reading Galatians 6, verse 1. This is the the blue text here. Make sure you read it. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, or should restore him spirit of Jesus. Watch of self, lest... Taya, um... Aslan was looking at you with like, someday that's going to be, that girl can read. I'm going to do it too. I saw her. She was like, wow, that girl can stand on stage. Okay. What's the first word in this verse? Brothers, a fellow brother or sister in Christ. What's the first word in the verse? Again, what is it? Brother, you know them. Brother, they are known. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, You who are spiritual, you you who claim to know Jesus, you should, what? Restore him. Interesting. It doesn't say you should judge him. You should be critical of him. You should restore him. Well, how should we restore him? With guns blazing? In a spirit of gentleness. I've had some people where I've seen people try to restore others, but gentleness was not in their dictionary, okay? It It was not godly. Restore people in a spirit of gentleness. Restoration is the goal of judgment. We judge those within the church for their salvation, for the church's safety, but ultimately we make these judgments. We do it for restoration. We do it with a spirit of gentleness. And let me tell you something. If it's not gentle, it's judgmental. If you're not gentle, you're just judgmental Judy, okay? You're not 
being gentle, you're being judgmental. We aren't to restore or to confront or to judge with arrogance. We're not to do it with a judgmental spirit. And when you look at the last part of that verse, if you go back to that on the screen, the last part of it says this, the last sentence, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Here is how we could wrongly read this verse, okay? I'll, I'll give an example. Um, so-and-so is a drug addict, and so I'm going to go help them with their drug addiction, but I need to be careful if I'm hanging out around them, because if I hang out around them, then I might become a drug addict also. You could read it that way. That is not what the text is saying. This is what it says. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here, here's what Paul is saying. Don't think you're all that when you're not. What, what people often do is we, we look at people in, in really low situations and, and we arrogantly think to ourselves, Psh, that can never happen to me. I could never do that. How many of you have ever said, I could never do that, and then you actually did that at some point in your life? If you've ever said to yourself, Psh, I would never do that, Psh, how could anybody ever do that to their... The, the devil at that point loves to take out a paintbrush and put a big target on your back when you say stupid stuff like that. What Paul is saying is don't think you're above it. Don't think it's below you. That could be you. Each person you drive by sleeping on the sidewalk, each of us are about two decisions or two catastrophes away to that happening to us. Be careful how and who and when and where you judge. Who am I to judge? Is, is not the best terminology here. Instead, it should be, who am I to think I'm better? Who am I to think this could never happen to me? Who am I to forget where I've come from? So let's recap as we wrap this up. Number one, judge with right judgment. Not by appearance, but judge by fruit. Number two, don't judge others unless you have judged yourself. Don't judge others unless you have dealt with your issues appropriately. Don't judge others unless you're willing to be judged with the same measure and proportion of judgment that you've been judged. And number three, you are only ever and always supposed to judge fellow Christians, those who are in the church, those you have relationship with. And you only judge to bring salvation, protection, and that should be your only motivation. And we are absolutely not to judge unbelievers, those outside the church. Number four, restoration is the ultimate goal of judgment. Number five, this is to be done in a spirit of gentleness. And if it's not gentle, it's judgmental. Number six, remember, this could happen to you. Finally, something we didn't explicitly say is this. It's not a number seven, but it's a finally. You cannot judge somebody's salvation. And with that, you cannot, like the Corinthians did with Paul, you cannot judge a believer's calling. How dare you if a young person comes up to you and says, I think I'm called to be, and you're like, have you considered this instead? Um, so many people in my life I had conversations with, I, I, I'm called to be a pastor. Well, how will you support your family? I'm called to be a pastor. Don't you know that pastors don't make money? I'm called to be a pastor. Are you really? Who are you to judge someone's calling? You can't judge people's passion. If you see someone passionate and just crazy for Jesus and you're like, geez, they're a little bit overboard. What if you were overboard for Christ? You'd be a lot better person, right? How dare we judge people who get excited about Jesus? Ah, oh, doesn't, doesn't he know he's making a fool of himself in worship tonight? Oh, a fool for Christ. Absolutely. That's fine. It's not for you. It's for Jesus. He's not here for you. He's here for Jesus. He's not performing for you. You're not an audience. You're just a hypocritical judge. They're worshiping Christ. Why don't you join in too? You can't judge someone's intentions or motives. You can't judge a position that God has given to someone. And ultimately, you can't judge someone's effectiveness in the kingdom of God. There are ministers out there, if we're talking about the kingdom of God, that have churches filled with tens of thousands of people. And sometimes you find out some of those ministers were morally bankrupt since day one. We say, well, God must be blessing. Is he or is he just a really good business person? Is he being faithful to God or is he just successful by the world's? Are you being faithful or are you being successful? So how does this look in the real world? What, what do we actually do? Um, can I have another Augsburger kid? Which one? Who wants to come? Yeah, come on up. Okay. Okay, tell everybody your name, your age, what grade you're in, and then, I'll, then we'll ask a real tough question, okay? My name is Dawson, and I'm, 
I'm eight years and I'm in. Okay, okay. We're saying, can, can he share the last thing he got in trouble for? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, okay. Do you know what it was? Okay. Can you extend your hands this way? Lord, help Dawson. Open his ears to listen to his mom when she gives him directions, God. God, your word says to honor your mother and father so your days may be long on this earth. God, extend his life in Jesus' name, God. Help him to do whatever she says, whenever she says it, as quick as she says to do it, and even faster. Help him to make his mom breakfast tomorrow in bed. God, please forgive him for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in the real world, I'm kidding. It's, we, we all don't listen to our moms sometimes, and, and our wives too. So, um, so I'm going to go through Matthew 18. So it's going to say, if your brother sins. So first of all, Dawson, I know he's got faith in Jesus. He's a brother in Christ, right? Yeah. I'm going to start calling him brother. We're old school. Hey, brother. Okay, so he's a brother in Christ. If your brother sins, oh, Lord, he just confessed his sin in front of all of us. We know he sinned. He didn't listen to his mom. Um, so if your brother sins, we got to ask, is it, is it wrong to not listen to your mom? What do you think? It's, not, it's wrong, right? Yeah, it's wrong to not listen to your mom? Okay, good, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a weird way to ask it, but yeah. So if your brother sins, clearly this is something he's done to, to wrong his mother. He says, you go and tell him his faults. So is he at fault? Did, did, did you not listen to your mom? Okay, didn't listen to your mom. Go tell him between you and him alone and, and 100 people and everybody online. So I'm going to come to him. Hey, yo, Dawson, yo. Um, I saw you weren't listening to your mom, bruh. And uh, what's up with that, man? Why? You didn't listen to your mom. You're a brother in Christ, right, brother? Right? You know it's not wrong to... to to, you know it's wrong to talk to your mom like that, right? Right, brother? Right? And, uh, okay, I got to ask myself, whoa, have I been listening to my mom? Do I have a log in my eye? Am I, am I so focused on his spec because I'm like, I'm actually like really not listening to my mom, um, re really not listening to her. And so I'm like, you know what? This is how I'm going to approach it. You know, Dawson, I really struggle listening to my, um, my, my mother as well. And it's a struggle for me, and, you know, I, I've really, Jesus is helping me here, Dawson, and, man, I, I, I just want to strive to be better, and, you know, I, I see you're struggling with the same thing, and we're, we're, both, we're both just sinners, you know, and, and we just are in need of God's grace, and maybe we can support each other, okay? So it's like, hey, I, I struggle too. You got to admit your faults or you can't address someone else's. So it says, between you and him alone, and if he doesn't listen to you, or if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. He's, he's a brother in Jesus. But if he doesn't listen, so talk, don't pay attention to Dawson and I. You know, Dawson, I, I'm real concerned that you, you've not been listening to your mom. Back talking about Oh, my gosh. He doesn't even listen to me. I'm, I'm going to bring over a couple other people. Um, Taya, Aubrey, you're going to come on up, please? Come on up. May it be established by two or three witnesses. Okay, so here we've got, so his sister's like, hey, girls, listen up. Uh, he, your brother, he said he's not been listening to your mom, and, and I, I just love him, man, and I've, I've shared my struggles as well, and um, he's a brother. This is not something you should be happy about. And <laughs> when I told him what he'd done, you were, he was like, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't have to listen to my mom. I can backtalk her whenever I want. I'm really concerned, and would you girls be willing to go and, and confront your brother with me together? But just pretend and say, yes, you're, you're, super, you're super comfortable with it, okay? Okay, so Dawson, I'm here with your sisters, and your sisters and I, man, we love you. These are, these are your sisters in Christ. I'm your brother in Christ. You've not been listening to your mom. We're really caring about you, and would you, would you consider just repenting and apologizing to your mom, and can you do better next time? Okay, so he said, we gained a brother. We gained a brother, okay? But now, what if he says, Dawson, I, I really think you need, to, you need to repent. You need to just go make it right with your mom. Look, your sisters, they care about you. No, you don't. I don't have to listen to you. I can back talk my mom. Well, I didn't. I didn't go that far, Dawson. <laughs> Jeez. I know. I'm kidding. Okay. All right. So, all right. Sorry, girls. He's not even going to listen to you. Okay. So, go, go, go. Don't tell your mom. It's, it's not, it's not public yet. Okay. So, what do you do now? Look at this rebellious kid. What do you do? Said if he doesn't listen to you, if he doesn't even listen to to the two or three others, then you tell it to the church. That's what we just done today. <laughs> So we tell it to the church. This would be like where if, if you've got a, a small group leader or a ministry leader, a 
pastor that you're in a relationship with, or you might come and say, hey, we're really worried about Dawson. You know, what can we do? He's out of control, not listening to his mom. He's wearing headphones all the time. He refuses to listen to anybody. He's like, it's America. It's a free country. I can do whatever I want. And then we tell it to the church, and the church would then come up and say, hey, Dawson, we love you. We care about you. What can we do? And Dawson will just say, um, what, what do you think if, if, if the pastor of the church had to get involved in, in this? Like, if I show up next time, you back talk to your mom, what, what's happening? Are you going to say, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen again? Or you're like, no way. I hate the church, too. What's your choice? I'm sorry. All right. Phew. 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 Okay. Give Dawson a hand. This is how it looks like a little bit in the real world, okay? We use this word judgment so weirdly and wrongly. Use it instead as if you know someone, if you love them, then restore them in a spirit of gentleness. If you don't know them, it's not your business. We're not to judge someone's salvation. We are to restore people. That is the goal of church is to see people restored, not to see people kicked out and scoffed and abused and treated poorly. We want to see people saved and restored. So would you dim our house lights and worship band save me before I call up another kid remember I didn't want to give this message today I was trying to make it about anything else I could and I was sharing this with uh with Tim and Ryan and Ladina before the service I'm like I don't even know where this ends but Ladina um helped put that together for me she said this like there might be some people here in church today that just feel judged feel judged They've experienced real critical judgment from, from Christians or confessing Christians or the church before, and they need healing. And I just want to say, if, if you're here and if you felt judged by the church before, um, that wasn't a true expression of the church. And Jesus does bring judgment, but he also brings grace. God wants to pour out his grace upon your life. It, it's not judgment or or punishment that changes us. The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's love and his grace that actually compels us to change. We could tell people to change all we want, but no one will change unless God changes them. How many of you are grateful? You can't change anybody, but God can change people, and we leave that up to God. And sometimes God uses us to encourage and to restore and challenge and in brotherly, sisterly relationships. Sometimes that's difficult. It's hard. Sometimes it's ugly, but sometimes it's also right. So if you feel judged today, the, the Lord wants you to know he loves you. He's got so much grace for you. And there's a way to do things right in community. And I'm sorry if you've ever experienced something different. The other was this, is that you might be reacting completely different. There might actually be someone in your life right now that, that's got some serious logs in their eye. And you're not mad at them. You love them. You're not being critical of them, but you're super worried about them. God's actually calling you to confront them in a spirit of gentleness, to help them, to offer whatever help they need, to bring them to a point of restoration. And you're not doing it because you're afraid of, I don't know, I'm afraid I might lose relationship with them. I might, I might, I might, I might. But God is putting on your heart today, and you actually were wondering before you came, should I approach this person about this? And maybe God today is saying, yeah, this is confirmation. In a spirit of gentleness, ask how you can help. Not with critical judgment, but ask how you can help. And then the last thing is this. Maybe today someone has done this to you. Someone's approached you. Someone has confronted you or, or came up and offered support, offered help, and you actually, your response was like, hey, only God can judge me. It's none of their business. I don't need help. I can do this on my own. And the Spirit of God today is softening your heart and confirming in your spirit that you are actually to go back to that person and say, I'm willing to take the next step. I'm willing to get help. I'm willing to go to counseling. I'm willing to pay it back. I'm willing to make it right. I'm willing to go to treatment. I'm willing to go to whatever. Whatever that is, I believe God's specifically using this message we didn't want to give today to address on one of those two thing, three things. You feel judged. God's calling you to reach out to help someone that you are avoiding because you're afraid. Or God has brought someone into your life to do that. You've resisted and he's saying, hey, go back. I'm here to help. Would you stand? Lord, we thank you for, for your word. God, I don't know exactly all the reasons why you had us read this passage today. But God, if there is anyone here who feels judged, God, cover them with your grace. If there's anyone here who's judged harshly, call them to repentance. God, if there's anyone who you've put someone on their heart to reach out to, to restore, and they're afraid to, give them the confidence and the go-ahead to do so. 
And Lord, if someone here has been approached and someone's offered to help and, and they continue to decline the offer, I pray that by your grace and mercy and the power of your spirit, you would give them the strength and confidence to say yes and go back and to get the help they need. If you need prayer for anything today or if any of those things spoke to your heart, some of our pastors will be up front to pray for you as we close out with one song. Um, Ladina will be up to dismiss in just a minute, but let's, let's not waste an opportunity to receive ministry and prayer for one another. We'll be up here to pray for you. If any of this spoke to your heart, or if you just got a need today, the Lord has a response. He's got to answer. We want to agree with that. So God bless this time in Jesus' name.